0: Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14 this evening? We're going to consider some passages of Scripture together. We're continuing a series called Rediscovering Your Foundations, and we're on a very, very important subject the Holy Spirit. Oh, by the way, we are joined at this time by radio stations around America. Would you say hi to our audience on CSN? It was a typical Sunday in a community church, a typical Sunday school class was studying the Apostles' Creed, and the idea was to have each child say one part that they had committed to memory, and then the next child would pick up on the next line, and so on and so forth. Well, the Sunday came for the class to do that, and the teacher said, okay, class, go for it. And so one little boy stood up and began, I believe in one God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And he sat down and a little girl stood up and said, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. And she sat down. There was a long silence. And kids looked at each other uncomfortably. And finally, one little girl stood up and she said, I'm sorry, sir, but the boy who believes in the Holy Ghost is absent today. (laughs) And I wonder if that couldn't be said of a lot of people. Those who believe in the Holy Spirit are absent today. In fact, there are many believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who could be described much like the disciples in Ephesus when Paul visited them in Acts 19 and asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Their response was, we haven't so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. I think there's lots of believers like that. Though they have recited a creed, they have theoretically believed, yeah, right, I'm a Christian, Trinity, Holy Spirit. For all practical purposes, He's not real. A.W. Tozer Said the idea of the Holy Spirit to the average church member is so vague as to be non existent. Some are even afraid of the Holy Spirit, and you can just see it in their body language whenever it is mentioned. When you mention, we're going to study the Holy Spirit, we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit, we're going to see what the Holy Spirit wants. You can just see that, uh oh. We're in one of those places, huh? Uh Uh-oh, I'm not going to be open to that stuff because I don't want to start jabbering away. I've heard what happens. Yet, the Bible mentions the Holy Spirit from cover to cover. It's everywhere. You can't get away from the subject of the Holy Spirit of God. The Old Testament, for example mentions the Holy Spirit 90 times under 18 different designations. The New Testament, 260 times under 39 different names. So, you can't escape the Holy Spirit. He's there from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. To Genesis 22, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. He is everywhere everywhere. Which poses a problem, where do you begin when you study the Holy Spirit? Now on the other hand, on the other side of the chasm of the spectrum, aren't those who go, "Uh uh-oh, they go, oh yeah. In fact, you can see it whenever you mention the Holy Spirit in their body language, they're licking their chops, they're rubbing their hands, they're going, finally, we're going to speak about the Holy Ghost. And I would call this group Holy Spirit heavy. Their theological background and bent has made a huge deal, a magnanimous emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's transferred into their attitude. You know, they alone have the anointing. They alone are spirit-filled. They alone preach the full gospel. And... This group is uh, phenomenally oriented. That is, if a phenomenal event doesn't happen in a meeting, they feel cheated or they feel like Holy Spirit wasn't here. They want lots of noise, lots of buzz, lots of pep. If that doesn't happen, they feel like the Holy Spirit is not a part of this fellowship. Sort of like... A steam engine that used to run the trains years ago. They let all the steam go out the whistle rather than driving the train. The next few weeks we want to look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is He exactly? What does He exactly do and how should we respond to Him exactly? Now there's a lot of places we could start a study like this. I thought about starting in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of creation, but I thought if I do that, that won't take 2 or 3 or 4 weeks, that'll take 40, 50 weeks. Or you could start at Matthew one eighteen. that's the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Mary was found with child by the Holy Spirit. But I think the best and safest place to camp tonight is in John 14, because we're going to hear about the Holy Spirit from the lips of our Savior. It's the second person of the Trinity introducing the third to His disciples. So we're going to look at chapter 14 and we're going to begin at verse 15. But what we're doing tonight is answering two questions basically. Who is He? Is He a person or just a power? Is He deity or is He just a dignitary, some powerful entity? And those are important questions. Is He a real person who saves and helps and strengthens and sanctifies and encourages believers? Is He a real person who leads unbelievers to Jesus Christ? Or is He just a force or a power? And you might be thinking, well, does it really matter? It does indeed. And the short answer to does it matter would be this. If you see the Holy Spirit as merely a force or a power then you're going to be saying, I want more of the Holy Spirit. If you see Him, however, as a person, especially a divine person, you're going to be saying, I want the Holy Spirit to have more of me. And you know what the difference is? (laughs) Results. That's the difference. Now, theoretically, we believe that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Holy Trinity... He's a person, he's God, that's theoretical. But do we actually think of him that way? Do we even think of him at all? Now, in answering the question, is he a person or a force, let's just look at these verses together. Jesus says in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you, Forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Look down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's what Jesus said, and we're going to notice a few things about that, but as we discuss this, there are some problems, and I want to just bring them to your attention. Problem number one is a historical problem. There have been splinter groups throughout the history of the church that have denied, frankly, the personality of the Holy Spirit. All the way back, it seems, from the very beginning. You know, it took four centuries, 400 years, for the church to articulate what it believed about the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because it wasn't an issue. That's why. It was never an issue. They were preaching the gospel, mentioning the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and it was never an issue. But as you know, whenever you turn on a bright light, the bugs come in. And the light of the gospel shone, and all sorts of theological bugs started coming in the church, denying that the Holy Spirit was part of the Trinity, denying that He was a person. In 318 A.D., One by the name of Arius of Alexandria, Egypt, stated Jesus Christ is the essence of God. He was created by God and endowed by the Holy Spirit, which was a force merely. During the time of the Reformation, there were the Socinians. In the 17th and 18th century, there were the deists. All who said the Holy Spirit was either an influence, an impersonal force, or an attribute of God. And by the way, the church always counteracted that. As far back as 381 A.D., the Nicene Council, the Nicene Creed, articulated the very heart, we call it the Apostles' Creed, in which it says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the life-giver, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. So there have been those groups that have denied the Holy Spirit as a person. Arius, Socinians, Deists. And around 200 A.D. there was a, a different kind of idea. This was Sabellianism, And Sibelius taught that there was one God who manifested himself in three different forms or modes they were indistinct one from another sometimes they were called the father he was called the father Sometimes he was called Jesus sometimes he was called the Holy Spirit one being called three different things three different modes or forms of one being now uh, that's old and it's still going on today people are fuzzy about well God right I was on a chairlift the other day in Wolf Creek, Colorado. I was snowboarding and I had a couple people with me. And so there was a girl next to us from Texas. So I kind of figured she's got to be a Christian. There was a lot of church groups from Texas. So I asked, are you from Texas? Yeah. Are you with the church group? No. And I started sharing with her the gospel. And she said, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that there is a God, but He's not a person. He's an it that he's some sort of essence or force or uh, cosmic entity. Uh, It's out there. So I said, you mean God's a blob? (laughs) She stopped. She goes, well, no, uh, uh, sort of. Uh, I haven't thought through this very well, she said. Even Christians are fuzzy about God, especially the Holy Spirit. Listen to John Lloyd Ogilvie, the chaplain for the United States Senate. Quote, Sadly, many Christians settle for two-thirds of God. God the Father is way up there somewhere, aloof and apart from their daily lives. Christ is out there somewhere between them and the Father. The Holy Spirit is some kind of vague force or impersonal power. They hear about, but they don't know Intimately. Let me just ask you, what is your relationship to the Holy Spirit like? Is it a personal relationship with a personal being? So that is the problem historically. There is also a problem biblically. This is what I mean. You've noticed as you've read the Bible that sometimes the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as if he were an it in impersonal terms. For instance, the word spirit in the Old Testament is ruach, which means literally wind. Ruach, kodesh, holy breath or holy wind. In the New Testament, the word for spirit is pneuma, which is literally one's breath. It's a neuter noun. It's a neuter noun. And so some have thought, well then, the Holy Spirit really isn't a person. I mean... Air is powerful. We know what wind can do in a tornado or a hurricane or if you channel it in a pneumatic uh, tool, how powerful air can be. But then that's what the Holy Spirit is, some powerful breath or manifestation of God. We also see the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. He came like a mighty rushing wind at Pentecost. He is described as um, a appearing in a flame of fire at Pentecost. He is seen as oil in the New Testament. Now, why all these impersonal descriptions if he's a person? Because the Bible is describing not his personality as much as his activity in those things. Let me give you an example. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Does that mean he's literally a loaf of bread? Jesus called himself the door of salvation. Should you then picture Jesus as a wooden door on hinges? Jesus is called the Good Shepherd. Does He literally then have a staff in His hand out there with sheep? A real good one, though. God the Father is called a refuge or our rock. He is called a consuming fire. Are you to picture God as a blast furnace or a pile of rocks? No, these are terms. We call them anthropomorphic terms or God described in human language so that we humans can get it. We can understand it. It describes, it's a word picture, it's a metaphor that helps us understand this magnificent being that we glibly call God. For instance, Jesus did this. In John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, he stood up and said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John said, but this he spoke of the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. What a description, isn't it? This invisible but personal and powerful force and satisfaction contained in you. Now, is that true of you? Again, just just check yourself for a moment. Is that true of you? Are you so filled with the Spirit? It's like a a rushing, refreshing, satisfying spring of water. If people bump into you, would they get splashed with the Spirit? One leader once said that Christianity in America is 3,000 miles wide and a half an inch thick. So that's the problem with this. Historically, there's a problem um, uh, biblically, but there's also a problem personally. You see, the minute you imagine that the Holy Spirit is a force, an impersonal power, a buzz, a hum like they have up in Taos, (laughs) rather than a person, you're going to face a problem. And this, in my opinion, is part of the fault of the charismatic movement. Who many have been taught to pray, fill me with thy power. Fill me with your spirit. I need more of the Holy Spirit. As if to imply, God would put that power at my disposal. Can you imagine How detrimental it would be if you at whim could just speak things into existence by the power? R.A. Torrey wrote a great book on the Holy Spirit in which he said, The concept of the Holy Spirit as a divine influence or power that we are somehow to get a hold of and use leads to self-exaltation and self-sufficiency. One who thinks of the Holy Spirit and who at the same time imagines that he has received the Holy Spirit will almost inevitably be full of spiritual pride and strut about as if he belonged to some superior order of Christians. I'd like to give you a biblical example. A good contrast. You can just put this in your notes or tuck it into mine and look later on. A story in Acts chapter 8 versus a story in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 8, the disciples are preaching the gospel in Samaria. There's a guy named Simon. Simon who it says believed to some degree, but he saw Peter and John working miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he offered them money and said, hey, let me write you a check, or let me give you cash, or do you take credit cards, anything. But give me this power so that whoever I lay my hands on, they can receive this Holy Spirit too. Compare that to Acts chapter 13 where it says, the Holy Spirit said... Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the ministry whereunto I have called them. See, in the first example, you have a guy trying to get a hold of and use God. In the second instance, you have God trying to get a hold of and use men. Huge difference. What's the difference? Again, results. God will never be used. But God will, if you allow Him, use you. So, those are the problems with it. Look at the pronouns. We read through it, but look back in chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He, mark that, will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I have said to you. Look at chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you... You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. That's not what I wanted. Look at verse 26, excuse me. Comes with age, you know. They're calling them senior moments now. I think I had one. When the Helper comes, verse 26, chapter 15, Whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. Look down at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, pronoun, personal pronoun, the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he speaks, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All told, in this section of 14, 15, and sixty, there's 13 personal pronouns Jesus uses when he refers to the Holy Spirit. Now last time I checked, personal pronouns are used for people, not Forces, right? Imagine how weird it would sound if I say, Boy, the wind is blowing today, and the wind, He is strong. Boy, I need air in my tires, and the air, He helps my car. There is not one single reliable version of the Holy Scriptures where the Holy Spirit is referred to as an it. Every reliable, scholarly work Is the same thing. He, him, whom, personal pronouns. Also, there's an issue of personality. Did you catch the names Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit? The helper or the comforter, some translations say. The counselor. Does that sound like a power to you? Chapter 14, verse 26, he will teach. Chapter 15, verse 26, he will testify or speak. Chapter 16, verse 8, he will convict or convince, some translations say. Verse 13 of chapter 16, he will guide, he will speak, he will tell. And verse 15, he will take and declare. I looked up the word just for kicks in Noah's dictionary, Noah Webster. I looked up the word person and... uh, Noah Webster said, or Webster's Dictionary, said, we apply the word to living beings only, possessed with a rational nature. In other words, to be a person, you need intelligence, or a mind. You need feelings, or emotion. And you need a will. And all those three aspects of personality the Holy Spirit exhibits. He exhibits intelligence. Chapter 15, verse 26, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Don't you have to know something before you can teach something? Then that would be intelligence. Then He has will. In First Corinthians 12, Paul says of spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts individually as He wills. Or how about this one? Remember in Acts 16, Paul is trying to travel and it says he tried to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit what? Forbade him or did not allow him. The Holy Spirit forbade him from going. So he went to Mysia, tried to go to Bithynia, but again the Holy Spirit didn't permit him. So the Holy Spirit has a will because you can't forbid or permit anything unless you have a will. So he has a mind, he has a will, and he has emotion. Think about that. We we rarely do. The Holy Spirit of God has emotion. Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Can you grieve an it? No, you can only grieve a, a him or a her, a person. Wouldn't it sound weird if I said, "Boy, I grieved my plant today." I mean, I really, I really angered my plant. I, he is so vexed; it is so grieved. You know, I was telling it it should change, turn over a new leaf. It didn't like that. <laughs> it's grieved. Romans talks about the love of the Spirit. Only a person can love. A plant can't love you. Electricity can't love you. A force can't love you. So, since the Holy Spirit is a person, listen carefully, any personal relationship at all that we have with God must include the Holy Spirit. You don't have personal relationships with electricity or plants. So that's the first question. Power or person? Answer, person. Second question. Dignitary Or deity? Is the Holy Spirit just some important being, like an angelic being? Or is the Holy Spirit God? Now nothing will heighten your respect for the Holy Spirit than to realize He is God Almighty. Look at chapter 16 for just a moment. Back to verse 12. I have still many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For the Holy Spirit to be able to guide you into all the truth, He has to be aware of all the truth. To be aware of all the truth means that He is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything. That's a description of God. Then, if you look, and you don't have to, you can write it down, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, He's omnipresent. David said, where can I flee from your Spirit? Where can I go from your presence? And he says, I can go anywhere, you're there. So, the Holy Spirit is omniscient, He's omnipresent. We know He was there at creation, Genesis 1-2, hovering over the waters. Job, in Job 33, said, The Spirit of God has made me. So, the qualifications of His character show that He is God. Second, the validation by Christ Himself. Go back to chapter 14, verse 16. It's a word uh, you can't escape, you can't miss this. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you a helper. No, notice, another helper, that He may abide with you forever. It's a key word, another. In the Greek language, there are two words for the English word another. Unfortunately, we have one. They have two. One word is alos. The other word is heteros. "Allos" means another of exactly the same sort. Heteros means another that's completely different. Example, let's say I have a CD and you really like it. And you go, boy, I really like it. Well, that's neat. No, I, I really like it. Okay, you can have it. Because I'll go get another. I would use the word alas. I'll go out and buy one just like it to replace it. But let's say you took it home and it was all beat up and scratched and skipped. You said, hey, thanks for the CD, but it's really lousy. I'd say, oh, well, don't worry, I'll go get another. Will I get another just like it? No, I'll get one that's not scratched. Or you might say, I don't like this music. Don't worry about it. I'll get you a heteros, a different group. One unlike the first. The word that Jesus used for another counselor is the word alas. One exactly like I have been to you. Jesus was the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the friend. He was the miracle worker. He was God in human flesh. But He was going. He was leaving. And He said, "Ah, I am going to send you a comforter, one just like me. One who is divine. One who can help. One who can do and be all that I have done and been to you. And alas, another comforter, another divine being. Now the early church understood that. Peter was there listening. And we have not only the qualification by character, we have not only the validation by Christ, we have the designation by Christians of the early church. I want you to turn to Acts 5 and we'll bring this to a close. Acts chapter 5. You say, I already know this stuff. Tough. Look at it again. Somebody else needs to. You can share it with them maybe. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? If you have a pencil, it would be good for you to just circle those words. Holy Spirit. And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to... God. You may want to circle God and connect the Holy Spirit and God because that's what he's saying. It's appositional. That is, this refers to that. The Holy Spirit is God, he is saying. You say, well, that was just Peter. No, that was just Paul too. And I'll give you a quick example. I'm not going to have you turn to it. Just, just remember it. You know Isaiah chapter 6, most of you. Where it says, the Lord said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord send me. And so it says, the Lord said, God said, go and say this message. Well, when Paul quotes that in Acts 28, it's the end of the book. He said, the Holy Spirit was right when he said, and he quotes Isaiah 6. Go and speak these words to the people. So what Isaiah said was God speaking. Paul the Apostle says it was the Holy Spirit speaking. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is not only a person, not a power, but deity, not a dignitary. That's the conclusion of all this. The Holy Spirit along with the Father and the Son is God Almighty in the Trinity. And we'll study that at another time in the next few weeks, just a whole study on the Trinity. Now, does all this really, honestly, truly matter? Does it matter that He is a person and that He is a divine person? Well, Jeremy Taylor put it this way, it's impossible for that man to despair who remembers that his helper is omnipotent. Isn't that good? It's impossible for the one to despair whose helper is omnipotent. It does matter a lot. You see, if you don't grasp who he is, you'll never appreciate what he does. If you don't understand his person and personality, you'll never appreciate all the activities of the Holy Spirit. And just look at those churches and movements who have denied the personhood and deity of the Holy Spirit. Look at them the unitarian church christian science the jehovah witnesses islam liberal protestantism you want to end up like that also think of it if you are not aware that the third person of the godhead yes invisible but personal and powerful is living inside of you it's going to show It'll show. You'll be like so many that Paul described to Timothy who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And you know what will happen? You'll lose interest in spiritual things, spiritual disciplines, prayer, worship. You'll lose your appetite for the Word of God. You'll lose your interest in church and the solutions that can be found within the body of Christ. You'll lose your appetite for God-centered preaching. You'll demand fluff in its place. That's what will happen. You'll replace biblical instruction with human counsel, psychotherapy, because they have all the answers. We have nothing. That's what will happen. You'll start replacing a reliance upon God in prayer for a reliance upon people's advice. That's what will happen. You'll become a little godder versus a big godder if you remember that study. A.C. Dixon wrote, When you rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on the Holy Spirit, we get what God can do. Wouldn't you agree that's a big difference? Isn't it time to just rely on God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Almighty? He is not Impotent, He is all-powerful. And the Holy Spirit is ready to get a hold of you and use you. That's what Jesus was telling these guys on that night. Hey, I'm leaving, but good news, great news, great news. Somebody's coming. He's going to teach you. He'll reveal to you. He'll impart to you. He'll be everything that I am and was to you. A lot of cities, their electrical sources come from the flow of water at a dam and uh, hundreds of thousands of volts of electricity. The, The source funnels the power out toward different cities, and the cable usually has words on it like danger, high voltage, stay away, those kind of things. You wouldn't want to touch 100,000 volts of electricity. You wouldn't want to hook it directly to your house unless you want to watch it burn up instantly. So engineers have developed transformers to take the voltage and step it down to useful increments. And so if you step it down from hundreds of thousands of volts via transformers to 110, it works. The house works. The lights work. Everything works. It's great. I have a computer that I like to travel with, and I always have to take the transformer to step it down to 19.6 volts. It'll take anything from 220 to 110 and in between fluctuating and feed it that 19.6 volts. Otherwise, it'll burn up. I, last summer, I had a razor that I took to Italy. shaver just burned up. Didn't have the right transformer. The Holy Spirit is the transformer, taking the truth of God, the mighty power and truth life-changing ability of God, that mighty power, and gives it to us in increments we can handle, in ways that will change us. One step at a time, one day at a time, one woman will hear something or feel something or experience something, one man something else, and there will be those changes. Those changes. And sometimes it will be dramatic, and other times it will be Invisible at first, but then grow. And if we're used to, I didn't see a huge explosion tonight, but God spoke inwardly to my heart. For you to not think that the Holy Spirit is detrimental. Paul put it this way in Second Corinthians 3, But we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we have learned in the last several weeks so many things about You. And we want to, Lord. We don't want to be fuzzy about the issue of God, nor of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, it, I want to say it's funny, but it's tragic, really, that the one thing Paul said we shouldn't be ignorant of, the Holy Spirit, we are clear the fog help us to know who the spirit is what he does and how we should respond lord though we are human and we cannot fully grasp that which is infinite we do ask that the holy spirit that he would act as that transformer taking the truth that Jesus said the disciples had so much to learn and give it to us in those increments we can handle that are life-changing, that we would be transformed from glory to glory into the same image by the Spirit of the Lord. We want our relationship with You, Lord, to include the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And though we're never going to walk away and fully grasp that, Help us to get a better handle on the person of the Spirit and the deity of your Holy Spirit so that we will never despair. We can face any situation because we realize our helper, the one living inside of us, is God Himself, omnipotent. We have nothing to fear. There's no situation too big for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name.